You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the Bible one book at a time and we look at the text in a three-step process. We read, we think, and we apply. I'm Andrew Kingsley and with me is Drew Kaiser. And today we're going to finish up chapter two of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Just kind of a quick recap from our last episode. Uh, We talked about chapter 2 verses 12 through 18 and that was Paul kind of wrapping up a section that he really began back in chapter 1 and verse 27 where he encouraged the Philippians to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he goes through and you remember we talked about the Christ hymn in verses 5 through 11, one of the most profound passages in the New Testament really Uh, Paul encourages them to do a lot of different things. And now we wind up in verse 19, and it's kind of a a big shift in the thought here. Mm -hmm. When you get to the end of the passage that we had last episode, you might remember Paul was talking about the possibility of his death. You can read in verse 17 of chapter 2, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul's saying, even if I do die, I don't think I'm going to die, but even if I do, then I'm going to be glad, and you should be glad too. And then it's into that context that right after that, he starts mentioning these two guys. You're definitely familiar with the first one, Timothy. And that's in verses 19 to 24. And then in verses 25 and following, he's going to introduce somebody that we don't see anywhere else in the New Testament, Epaphroditus. And so starting here in verse 19, Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And that wraps it up for what Paul says about Timothy. And so you can see Paul's plan, as soon as he finds out his verdict from Caesar, from Nero, he's going to send Timothy over there, probably to tell them what the verdict was, and also uh, so he can encourage them, so he can... It's interesting that he's talking about, you know, verse 17, I'm, even if I am going to die, he doesn't think he's going to die, but even if I am going to die, rejoice. And then in that same uh, vein, he's saying, you know, I really hope I can send Timothy to you soon, that I can be cheered, you know, that I can have a reason to rejoice from the news of you, and obviously vice versa. You guys can rejoice in Timothy being over there with you. Now, Timothy is a... He's a very important character, or character, I guess isn't the right word, figure, maybe, person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was okay with character. Okay. He's an important character in the New Testament. We don't really spend a lot of time discussing uh, <clears throat> Timothy himself. We yeah. talk about the letters. The books of Timothy. Yeah, yeah. When, when you read the epistles of Timothy, or to Timothy, it, it's, it's, I mean, you know you're reading about... a. You know you're reading somebody's mail, but you don't really think about that person a whole lot so much as you think about the instructions given to him. 
and he he seems to come more alive in Philippians as a as a flesh and blood person, mm-hmm. and um, you know this these compliments are given to him about his proven worth, and I read somewhere that in a lot of uh, vestibules of homes in Rome and in Roman colonies, it was standard practice to keep busts of ancestors of the family who were virtuous and uh, they who had proven their worth. And this was a, a practice that was done to try to indicate to the children, you know, there, there's your grandfather, there's your great-grandfather, and he accomplished all these things, and I want you to be like him. And Paul is kind of playing on that practice with Timothy, saying he's, he's not a statue in your vestibule. This guy is a real, real flesh-and-blood person of proven worth mm-hmm. that you can look at and emulate here and now. You can watch him, and, and it was a really high compliment mm-hmm. that he paid to, to Timothy there. And then calling him his son is very touching, also, and, and helps us see Timothy in flesh and blood as well. And and Paul looked at, you know, he was a man with no flesh and blood children, biological children, mm-hmm. but he liked to think of his converts as children. But in particular, he liked to think of men like Timothy, whom he carried along with him and mentored as as his children. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're right. This, you know, really gives us a lot of biography on Timothy as a person. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here to discuss on Timothy. And in the next section, we'll cover some of that. But understood, just for the reading portion of this, just to get in your head what's going on here, Timothy is very important to Paul. Paul or uh, Timothy is mentioned more than 25 times in all of Paul's letters. Hmm. Uh, he appears a lot in the writings of Paul. Paul really likes Timothy. He's a very important co-worker with him. And this is all stuff that, um, you know, is evident really just in the first verse, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints uh, who are at Philippi. As we covered in our very first episode on Philippians, Timothy is there with Paul in Rome right now. Yeah. And then uh, as we move forward, and we'll, we'll cover more about Timothy in our next section. As we move forward, we're introduced to this new character, Epaphroditus. And we'll just go ahead and read his short story here, starting verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So we have a quick introduction, and really... The story of this man, Epaphroditus, right here in these few verses. And this is the only time, as we've said, the only time he's mentioned in the New Testament. There might be some question on that, but we can cover that in the next section. Uh, the only time that he is mentioned in the New Testament. But he's a pretty impressive man. Paul has great respect for this guy. He honors him, uh, apparently. 
he uh, requests that the Philippians treat him with honor, and he tells them why. Uh, so I think we're safe in assuming that certainly Paul honors him. Um, he calls him, you can see some of these things that he uh, calls him. He says he's my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Um, and something interesting, he calls him a messenger. That's actually the word for apostle in Greek. So okay. it's there's some different ideas surrounding this. Um, and we can discuss it in the second section, but just for the sake of bringing it up here, uh, it's most I'm glad likely... You looked at, I'm glad you looked that up, because I had assumed... I saw that, and that piqued my curiosity as well, and I didn't look it up. I assumed it was Angelos, the yeah. angel. Yeah, so did I. It was okay. just the commentary showed me Good this for you for looking it up. I, and I was really going to... You know, I didn't. I wasn't going to say he was an angel, but I was going to yeah. point out that that word is used sometimes, uh, and we we're not sure if we're thinking about a celestial being or or an actual human messenger. Mm-hmm. So, uh, cut out five minutes of our podcast right there. I was going to have right. a whole discussion and think about that, but we can uh, still it's do also that. interesting this that he's called an apostle in in a general sense. You know, not yeah one of the twelve. Yeah, there are a lot of sent. In this case, I guess it would be in the sense, well, the word apostle, or the, I guess, yeah, it would be the noun form of it, mm-hmm. just like is used when you read apostle. Uh, it means one sent, and in the case of the official 12 apostles, these are guys sent out by Jesus Christ, but Epaphroditus was sent by Paul. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't think of him in the same vein as Paul and Peter and all those guys. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to discuss in his designation as apostle. And I do think uh, your translations that say messenger, they're getting the idea across. They're getting right. it right. I don't think it's a mistranslation of the word. But just know, uh, this is probably also a reason he uses that particular word. Uh, as Kaufman points out, it might be to pay a compliment to Epaphroditus. Uh, but we can discuss that a little more. I, I just yeah, bring I it up to, now. Yeah, I to, want to talk about how news travels yeah. in those days in the think section because I, there's just a lot in here that reminds you that in those times it was a lot harder to get a letter from point A to point B, and that yeah. phrase is one of those. Yeah, there were no phone calls or emails or really quick and easy mm-hmm. ways to get in touch with people. It was pretty difficult, especially all the way from... Philippi to Rome. Right. That would have been a problem. Yeah. But for the sake of our uh, section where we're going to outline it here, what we need to understand is, of course, um, Paul is bringing up his plans, his future plans for Timothy and Epaphroditus, probably here to encourage the Philippians in spite of the fact that Paul is in prison and could possibly die. He doesn't think he's going to die, but he could possibly die. Um Certainly doesn't think he's going to die. You can look in verse 24. I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul thinks he's he's going to come out mm-hmm. of this. Um, but he mentions his plans to send Timothy after he receives the verdict from Caesar. And then he says, well, I'm sending to you Epaphroditus right now. He's going to come see you right now. And then you have this little story about how Epaphroditus got sick. And he got so sick that he almost died. You can read in verse 27, he was ill near to death. He almost died 
the Philippians found out about it, and of course they're upset that this guy's about to die. And then the text says that Epaphroditus was upset because he heard that they were upset mm-hmm. because he was about to die. He was so sick. So which you, upset Paul? Yeah, which in so Paul turn, was upset over Epaphroditus being upset over their being upset over him being sick. Yeah, so everybody's upset because yeah. everybody else is upset. Yeah. Nobody wants anyone else to have those bad feelings here. Yeah. So it kind of just shows you, one, Epaphroditus is a selfless guy, and we'll talk more about that in apply. Uh, Paul, very, I guess he is uh, respectful of Epaphroditus, and it looks like he very, he cares about him a lot. You know, he says if he died, it would have been sorrow upon sorrow for Paul. Probably sorrow because Epaphroditus is gone, and sorrow because he knows the Philippians are going to be mourning Epaphroditus. Mm-hmm. So there's a sorrow upon sorrow. Um, he likes Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was his minister. That's pretty interesting. In need yeah. to minister to my need. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's I found that interesting too. There's some there's some great stuff in that. Some really nice imagery behind that word in Greek. But we will save that for our next <laughs> section because there's so much. But the bottom line here, I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I, I was going to point out something structurally, which is kind of what we do in the, the first part of the podcast. Yeah. If you're looking at this uh, in terms of chronology or travel plans, it's backwards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because Timothy is coming soon. Epaphroditus is coming now. Epaphroditus is bringing the letter that we're reading, he's going to bring that to them. Yeah. And they're going to learn in the letter that Timothy is coming soon. Mm-hmm. So it's backwards in terms of, you know, if you're looking at it as a travelogue or a timeline, it's backwards having Timothy first and Epaphroditus second. But in terms of climax, like the story, it's in a great order. And I think that's what Paul had in mind. First, you know, we'll talk a little bit about Timothy, proven worth. He's a great guy. He's my son of the faith. Now, mm-hmm. Epaphroditus almost died. You know, so I think that's mm-hmm. what, you know, explains the structure that we're looking at here. Um, and it helps us fixate in our minds, you know, what he's what he's telling them is about to happen. Epaphroditus is coming right now. Timothy's coming later. And then I trust that I'm going to come even after Timothy. So they're going to get a lot of visits. Yeah, and something I failed to mention that I should have um, is in verse 29, what Paul tells them to do with all this news. Verse 29, he's talking about Epaphroditus. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So again, you have here this underlying theme that we're kind of following through the letter of joy. Mm-hmm. You know, rejoice in this, rejoice in that. Be happy if this happens. Be happy if that happens. Here comes Epaphroditus. Rejoice when he gets there. Be glad that he's back. So again, we have this theme of rejoicing, following Paul's thoughts throughout this whole letter, really. Let's see if we can find anything to dig into here. Uh, it, something that we talked about in the first part was how Epaphroditus 
is named as the person who's going to be carrying this letter that we're studying back to Philippi from Rome. Uh, we sometimes forget that in those days you couldn't drop, you know, couldn't put a stamp on an envelope and drop it in the mail or hit send and send an email or text a message on the phone. There was no internet, of course, and not even uh, the modes of transportation that the mail system depends on. We talk about snail mail. We don't know anything about snail mail. I mean, this is snail mail. You have to find somebody who is willing to risk a trip. And I know we said it before. How far is it from Rome to Philippi? What did we say? That's funny. A thousand miles? Just starting to look it up. I want to say that we said it in a previous episode, and we said it was about a thousand miles. He, He... he has to take, you know, ship some of that time. Uh, some of that will be on, uh, you know, some kind of an animal, uh, riding in various ancient forms of transportation. Very difficult to do this that Epaphroditus is about to do. And uh, describing him, he describes him as a messenger in uh, chapter 2, verse 25. And... You pointed out, and I'm glad you did, that that comes from the Greek word apostolos. Translated apostle in the official sense, but messenger or one sent will get the job done in this sense because he's not naming him as an apostle. Um, not, Not at all. Just somebody that Paul is sending and approving and commending to them. You'll see this a lot with the messengers of the inspired epistles, a commendation. And and that was also a customary thing that you'll find in a lot of letters from ancient Rome is in the letter you'll have a commendation to the person bearing the letter. And it makes sense why we do that. You know, if somebody you don't know shows up with a letter and his name's not in the letter, you kind of wonder if it was really written by the person who sent it, if it's a legitimate yeah. letter. So it helps to to be, maybe Paul had a seal or something, and it was sealed up by Paul, and inside that letter, you see the name of the guy that's handing you the letter. You can feel very good about the contents and and all the instructions that are given in it. Yeah, that word apostle is used in this uh, way in a couple other places. I'll just read one of them, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, Paul's Heaven is, or he's giving a commendation of Titus. Uh, okay, to borrow that word you just used. So he delivered the second letter to the uh, Corinthians. Yeah, uh, I, I guess. Yeah, he says I'm sending. I him think to that's you. right. Yeah. Verse twenty three. He says, "As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit." But then, this word doesn't come up for Titus. It comes for his other people. He says, "As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches." The glory of Christ. That hmm. word messengers is apostles. Okay. They are apostles of the churches. They are the ones sent. And it bears hmm. the idea, yeah, Epaphroditus was sent by Paul to the Philippians, but in the first place, the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Paul to deliver uh, yeah. the support, the financial gift from the people hmm. of Philippi. They sent Epaphroditus with that money over to Paul. And yeah. I, you know, Paul, maybe he, or Epaphroditus, maybe he got there and decided I'm going to stay and help Paul for a while. Maybe that was a plan from the beginning. Yeah. But either and that's, way. That's, you know, you got to trust somebody mm-hmm. deeply to, to send money. 
Yeah, and probably right. a pretty good amount of money. My my first trip over to Russia was in 1998 before the uh, debit cards were... I mean, they were around, but the technology wasn't there, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I this was not why I was going over, but but my I was going over with my dad, and uh, we met with the person who was giving us all the travel arrangements and visas and all the things that we needed, and he said, I also need you to carry some money over with you. And we were like, okay, well, how much? $40,000 in cash. Oh wow! And so we got these little money pouches, and I put twenty thousand under my clothes, and my dad put twenty thousand under his clothes. Fanny packs? No, not no, fanny packs. No, and money packs. pouches. I'm too cool to wear a fanny pack. But uh, I was terrified that whole time, and I was, you know, in the modern world. In those days, you know, I can't imagine how dangerous that would be. To carry over some money for the support, but we were doing that, and I felt very good about doing that. We were carrying over money to pay preachers' salaries, and yeah. over there, that would support more than one preacher for for a whole year. So we're taking, you know, maybe three preachers' salaries for a whole year that mm-hmm. would last them over there, and um, you know, it was it was a very important service and. They wouldn't have given it to us if they had not trusted us. And uh, Epaphroditus, he could have dropped off the grid with this stuff and had it, had himself a good time. Yep. But um, so by this point, you know, it's pretty safe to put a letter in his hands and, and have him come back. So I, I'm, I still i am dying to get into this Angelos thing, angel. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it's similar to the way apostle is used in these senses. Mm-hmm. In the book of Revelation in particular, before each letter in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you have the beginning, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write. To the angel of the church at Sardis, write. To the angel of the church at Smyrna, write. Uh, Every time, and there's a lot of discussion about what that is, and of course, a lot of folks want to make that celestial angels, heavenly beings, because they get caught up in the... Yeah, they you know really get caught up in in the images of Revelation and the heavenly figures that that are found there. But that might just be a human messenger, yeah. and they were so important and embodied the church itself to these authors of these inspired yeah. writers that a lot of times they kind of thought about the church as they looked at the messenger, and maybe it's like a little technique that that you've that we're using listeners right now as we talk to you on this podcast we picture one person listening yeah and talk to that person and yeah. I'll let our three listeners guess which one of them <laughs> I'm thinking about right now but uh maybe maybe that's what it was or you know they just seem these messengers were very very important and highly honored and valued for obvious reasons without them Letters could be written, but they wouldn't serve any purpose. Yeah. 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 I think that speaks to, you know, not just... You can think of Epaphroditus in the same vein as Timothy, really. Because Timothy and Titus both are entrusted with the same kind of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kaufman, I think it's Kaufman, he actually makes a point in his commentary. He thinks Epaphroditus was most likely an elder of the congregation in Philippi. 
Yeah. Because they're I thinking, was, who else are we going to send? Right. You know, then one of the guys that's supposed to be more qualified than the rest to do this kind of a job. And that's a really interesting idea. Brings I think up that's a, lot a of, safe, safe assumption that he was an elder, mm-hmm. maybe a preacher or a deacon, but he he had to have been a leader in that church. Oh, yeah. And he was, since we're talking about Epaphroditus, we're kind of doing this backwards, but since we're already on Epaphroditus... Okay. You want to go... Get into get him. Into, yeah, well, I've just got something real quick mm-hmm. uh, to kind of add to why he's so impressive. Paul calls him, you know, minister to my need. Right there in that same phrase we're looking at, you know, your messenger and minister to my needs. That word for minister is a Greek word that's... There's a there's a word for minister or servant, and it's deacon. Yeah. Pretty much it's just deacon in Greek. And then there's another word that it's used in a little bit of a different context. And I'm flipping in my notes here. Used in a little bit of a different context. A weird word, liturgikos. Mm-hmm. Weird word. Uh, but Barclay, William Barclay has got a really interesting uh, statement like a about it. religious this. word, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess, yeah, it, it became one, but originally... Um, in secular Greek, this was what uh, Barclay says is, this is a magnificent word. In the ancient days in the Greek cities, there were men who, because they loved their cities so much, at their own expense undertook certain great civic duties. It might be to defray the expenses of an embassy or to cost, uh, or to spend the cost of putting on one of the dramas of the great poets or of the training of the athletes who would represent the city in the games, or of fitting out a warship and paying a crew to serve in the Navy of the state. These men were the supreme benefactors of the state, and they were known as liturgikos. So these are guys that, at their own expense, serve their hmm. city-state. You know, they're like guys who... Um, Philanthropists. Yeah, I guess. They will... But they're not thought of... I wanted to throw out my $500 word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're not thought of as, you know, people kind of have a bad attitude, I guess, towards some of those people mm-hmm. today. That that wasn't the case. These guys were looked at as helpers, as selfless people for giving all of this stuff so for the better of the city-state. Mm-hmm. You know? So it, it implies that he possibly spent a lot of his own money to make this trip over to Paul to provide for his own needs, maybe some of Paul's needs. Mm-hmm. Although we know that, you know, he carried a gift from the church. Yeah. According to chapter four, verse eighteen. And we don't want to spend too much time over there because we're gonna be getting there soon. But um you know, he he brought some of that, but it you know, might that word may imply that he spent some of his own money. Yeah, to do this, isn't that isn't that kind of yeah? I the, think the imagery behind the yeah the word I, that you were given there. I think that's definitely a a good assumption to make because he obviously has got Paul's needs in mind before his own, and certainly the advancement of Christ before his own, just like Paul did, you know, back in chapter one, because he nearly died for the work of Christ. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Epaphroditus is plan here. He's really a helper. And when I, 
and the more you know, we've been or I've been studying this today, and we've been talking about it. Epaphroditus is a very, very impressive guy. Yeah, he is very selfless, and he is willing to do whatever he can. He's qualified to do probably some of the most difficult work, worthy of all this honor. And then here he is, you know, serving Paul. Paul, keep in mind, Paul is chained to a guard right now. So the little tasks Epaphroditus does for Paul are probably getting him food, going out to the market, buying him food, mm-hmm. cooking the food for him, making sure he's got clothes to wear, you know, mm-hmm. all these little different uh kind of medial tax, I guess. Paul wants to organize some work like this. He might tell Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus goes around the city and makes sure everybody's doing, you know, kind of, I guess, running errands for Paul, mm-hmm. almost. Yeah, that's the way I picture it. And Paul always had helpers around him like this. Um, there's another one in the letter to the Colossians named Epaphras. Mm-hmm. Not the same guy, Yeah, but this is another guy who was from the church at Colossae, who'd come to see Paul. Paul was sending the letter to the Colossians back with him. And, of course, Titus did that. Luke did that. Timothy did that. Uh, John Mark did it near the end of his life, or at least, you know, he asked for him. Uh, there were These people were very important to Paul. Uh, while while you, we've been dancing around it, let's talk about the illness a little bit, you know, because okay. um, this guy almost died for doing this. Um, the text, of course, doesn't tell us what it was that ailed him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just left to speculate, but we like to do that here mm-hmm. on the 66. And so, I don't, I, do you have any ideas of what it could be? You know, it could be... Well, first of all, the big category is it could be an accident. He could have had an accident on the on the way. Yeah. It Or he could have contracted some disease due to exposure to the elements or due to, you know, Rome versus his home. Yeah. You know, I want to think that this was done... He got sick because he was doing this. Yeah. And I, and that's the way it reads. It says, um, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So it doesn't look like, you know, he got over there and just, you know, got sick and he would have gotten sick anywhere. Yeah. He got sick because he made this trip and because he was in Rome. That, yeah. That much is sure. Yeah, it could have been from the conditions of his travel. The weather made him very sick. Uh, he had some kind of injury that led to a really bad, you know, it got infected or something led to a bad illness. Or... One of those commentaries I was reading today said something about overexertion. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was he was working yeah, too hard. I can see that. I can see that much. happening. Definitely. But yeah, it's really interesting to think about what exactly, you know, what made him sick to the point of death. And I think the, regardless of what it was, it could be any of those things. But I think the point is what you just brought up. It's not like if he had stayed in Philippi, he would have gotten that illness. Mm -hmm. It was a direct result of something that he did, whether it was his travel, Mm -hmm. whether it was the time he was spending in Rome. As a result of his service, he got deathly ill. He he almost died. All right, now here's another thing. So Paul is an apostle, right? Yeah. 
and he has spiritual gifts. Not only that, he has the ability to impart spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, at the first part of that chapter, about verse 7 and following, he gives a list of the kinds of spiritual gifts that he imparts to other people. And one of those is gifts of healing. Mm-hmm. Now here is Epaphroditus, and Paul is telling us that if he had died, he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. And you see, you know, he uses the word anxiety to describe, you know, his feelings here. And he knows that they were very distressed because he was ill. Mm-hmm. So my question is, what is a gift of healing for if it's not for this situation? Why didn't he heal Epaphroditus? And I'm asking you, Andrew, <laughs> to answer that question. Oh, yeah. No problem. Well, I mean, I don't know. But I okay. think either way... Don't you think that's... Well, and you can think about it in terms of Paul's own thorn in the flesh. You know, if Paul had the right? power of healing, yeah. why didn't he heal himself? Uh, maybe it comes back I to... I don't know any cases of people healing themselves. Yeah. But... There are cases of people healing others. Yeah. Here, here's what I think. I think that we read into these passages in the Bible a miracle every day. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we think the Bible times were like. Just miracles happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then we try to either we react to that these days in two ways. On the one hand, we think they're still happening every day, and we interpret stuff as miraculous when it's not miraculous. It might be providential. It might be coincidental. But it's not miraculous. Um, The other side of it is skepticism about what's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, it's not happening today, so it didn't happen back then. And I think in between that is a more realistic view of what, what occurred in the Bible in terms of miracles. They were kept to a minimum and used only for specific purpose, which is the revelation and confirmation of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, is a great example of this. The man is starving, you could say, to death. Mm-hmm. And Jesus can do anything. He created the world. But when Satan came to him and said, Command these stones to be made into bread, he refused to do it. And there are a lot of reasons why he refused to do it, but one of them would was that it would be an abuse of his miraculous power. His miracles were not there to work on his own benefit when he was alone and nobody around him was watching. Mm-hmm. And so Paul, uh, whether he was restrained from doing this by the Spirit or by God, or whether he chose as a Christian not to do it, He was not going to use a miracle just to benefit himself. Mm -hmm. Those miracles only were worked to reveal or confirm the Word of God. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus would go out, like in uh, Mark chapter 2, and this paralytic is lowered down through a roof, he first said, My son, your sins are forgiven. But then in in order for them to believe that he had the power to forgive sins, he healed the man. Mm-hmm. So if Paul were in a situation like that where he was teaching and people said, well, prove that you are a prophet. Prove that you are an apostle. You're an inspired man. Then he might work a miracle on behalf of the sick. But he reserved that for those purposes. It wasn't a miracle every day. 
And this is a very strong, um, very, very strong case. There's another one. Somebody in the book of Acts was left in Trophimus. Um, I cannot remember where that is, but um, or Miletus. Uh, I, this is just coming to my head as I'm talking about this, but um, somebody was left in the book of Acts somewhere. Uh, he could not travel with them any longer because he was so sick, and it was Paul again who decided to leave him, and, and you think, well, wouldn't it have been a lot better for Paul or one of the other miracle workers to just... Uh, you know, heal that guy and, you know, get on down the road. But no, it's uh, it didn't work that way. That's not what miracles were for. Yeah, I think there's... If we're talking about how do we think he was... You know, it's, well, God had mercy on him and he was healed. Why didn't they, you know, or why didn't Paul just do some miracle and they wouldn't have to worry about it? James chapter 5 is what immediately came to my mind when you were talking about this because James here gives advice for what to do when somebody gets sick. And his his advice is not, is anyone among you sick? Take him to an apostle and let the apostle heal him of his illness immediately. Right. His advice is, is any among you sick? This is James 5 verse 14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be, he will be forgiven. So, that's But you know, I, I've heard people try to make that miraculous. Yeah. Because of the oil, the anointing oil. But I, I read that, and I look at that as a medicinal treatment. Yeah. You know, I, re, I really don't think that's a case of elders using miraculous healing and I don't, I don't even think it's an anointing that they're doing, but rather a treatment of of wounds or, or um, a soothing, you know, treatment yeah. that 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 was used in those days. Yeah, the point's not the oil. The point it doesn't say, and the oil anointed on his head will save the one who is sick. It says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And if you want to have a faithful prayer, your best shot is the is going to be the elders of your group of Christians. Because your elders are the ones who are more qualified than the rest. They're just, and the qualifications of elders are, they're qualifications for strong, faithful Christian men. None of those things that you read in there, aside from managing the household and, you know, and that's wrapped up in, or that's wrapped up in having children and those things, but the other ones are simply. I mean, those could be requirements for any Christian. There's are all standards we should all strive to be, you know, sober-minded, self-controlled, good report among people outside of the church. Those aren't outstanding things. Those should just be, those should come with the territory of being a Christian. And so probably I'm thinking, now I've got a, an answer here, I guess. God had mercy on him. I'm Based on what James says, I'm sure Paul... And the elders of the church in Rome were praying diligently. Oh yeah, yeah. For this man, they were probably they were probably meeting with him and praying and anointing him with oil. Yeah. And he ended up being healed uh, by God's mercy, not by Paul's gift, not by somebody else's gift, but by God's mercy. Yeah. And by the way, it was Trophimus was the guy 
that was yeah. left in Miletus okay. ill. That's what I was and thinking. And it's in Why? Second. I was thinking where's <laughs> Yeah, it's Second Timothy four twenty. Paul is remembering back uh, this this guy got ill at Miletus, and and instead of healing him, Paul left him there. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I I think that's really something to look at. Um, Timothy, we need to talk about Timothy a little bit. Yeah, can I? I got one quick thing about Epaphroditus, or really, okay, three quick things wrapped up in one. Okay, um, I feel like we'd be remiss if we left out verse twenty-five, where Paul calls Epaphroditus my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. I think there's some interesting points to bring out in that. Um, he calls him my brother. And obviously this is going to refer to a brother in Christ. So just to understand how Paul really feels about Epaphroditus, I think there's a big sense of uh, connection here. I I can't really think of the word I'm looking for. Kinmanship? Yeah, kinmanship. That's what I'm looking for. Kinship. Kinship. There you go. You don't need the man part in that. There you go. Kinship. Kinship between these two guys. He says he's my brother. He believes what I believe. You know, back in uh, the first few verses of chapter 2, be of the same mind, have the same love, have the mind that's in Christ. He thinks Epaphroditus does. They have the same mind. They're brothers in the faith. The second thing he says, he's my fellow worker. So he counts Epaphroditus as somebody that works just like he does for the cause of Christ. Then he calls him the fellow uh, soldier. And I really think that refers to Epaphroditus falling ill and almost dying. Yeah. Because Paul is very, very well acquainted with almost dying for the cause of Christ. He's doing it right now in prison. You know, he doesn't think he's going to die, but he might. So So, um, Paul associated soldier with suffering for some reason. Yeah. You know, in 2 Timothy 2.3, he says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Suffering soldier. It puts that together, so you know. Um, I think, I think that's. I think you're right on that. That that you know, that's his fellow suffering worker is his fellow laboring brother is the kinship in general that they have as brothers in Christ. That's that's mm-hmm. what you're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So Timothy. Yeah. Let's okay. Go to Timothy. I we're we're. Using up all our time on think and yeah, this little, know. <laughs> you know, I when we first came to this little passage of scripture, we both were saying, "Are we going to have enough to fill time?" But you start looking at all of this, and there's a lot to talk about here. There's not as much to talk about with Timothy because it's pretty straightforward. Um, I do want to bring up Acts 16, where Paul is first introduced to Timothy, and it says there that he had a Gentile father, which means an unbelieving father. And a Christian mother, a Jewish mother who seems to have been a Christian. And um, Paul saw a lot in him. He was well spoken of by the brethren at Lystra and Derby, mm-hmm. And so Paul decided to take him with him. And uh, they went from there, pretty much straight from Lystra, where he met Timothy, to Philippi, mm-hmm. the city to which this letter is written, and established the church. So Timothy was there when the church yeah. was established in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. That's exactly right. So it's, you know, it tells you why his name is at the top of this letter. They remember this kid. Yeah, you he know, was they, there. Paul writes about 
rejoicing in his remembrance of all of them, mm-hmm. all the all that includes Timothy. Yeah, he's there too. Yeah, so it's a uh, really interesting that uh, Timothy had such a big part in the church at Philippi, uh, in addition to being you know co-laborer with Paul. Mm-hmm. And there's a uh, Timothy. There's one phrase here that he says in verse twenty. I have no one like him. Timothy is, like we said, Paul cares a lot for Timothy. Mm-hmm. Timothy is held in very high regard by everybody. And he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then he says for... Uh, yeah, there's two ways to read that. Yeah. It's uh, like... Do you know what I mean? He could say, I have no one like him, comma, he cares for... He genuinely cares for you. Yeah. Or he could be saying, I have no one like him who cares about you. Yeah. And it's He's the only of, person I know who cares, who genuinely cares for you. Yeah. And then you go on to the next verse and he <laughs> says, for they all seek their own interests, not those yeah. of Jesus Christ. So it yeah. sounds like Paul is saying, look, I've got nobody else like Timothy. Timothy genuinely cares for you guys. The rest of these guys are worried about themselves, not about Christ. Yeah, but the 800-pound gorilla in the room is Epaphroditus, right? Yeah, <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> yeah he's coming next in two verses later. <laughs> what about me? Yeah. I almost died. Yeah. You know, but I, you don't care about him. <laughs> Too bad. I think the point here is he's saying, um, and this word to no one like him, if you're reading from the NIV, you're going to see I have no one else of kindred spirit. If you're reading the American Senator King James Version, New King James Version, it says, I have no one like-minded, or no man like-minded. The idea is being of equal soul or equal mind. And he's trying to say there's, there's no, and I think it's this, there's nobody available to him to do that job that cares for them like Timothy does. And I think he's referring to the people that he has on hand available to send in Rome. That doesn't include Epaphroditus, because Epaphroditus is about to leave anyway. Well, uh, yeah, he's not in that company. Yeah. Uh, Maybe Epaphroditus is a member of the church at Philippi, and Timothy and the others, the them of, um, or they, they of verse 21, are non-members of the congregation of Philippi, preachers that yeah. Paul sent out. And these are the guys that he references in chapter 1, verse 15, who preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Yeah. So they're preaching out of their own interests. Timothy is different from them because he preaches out of the inter- out of interest for the Phil- Philippians. Yeah. And uh, so Epaphroditus is not in that club. No. He's a member of the church in Philippi. Like you said, he probably is an elder of the church there. Mm-hmm. So he's one of the ones that needs to have Timothy's concern. Yeah. He's not in competition with Timothy over yeah. Paul's best buddy. Yeah, so. and I think that includes, like when Paul says, I don't have anyone like him, I think he's not talking about Luke or John Mark or Tychicus or Silas or Barnabas or any of these other guys that he had with him. Uh, I think he's just talking about that pool of selfish guys in front. Yeah.
let's make this really practical and uh, talk about some lessons that we can learn. One thing that I see here is a theme of concern. Everybody is concerned about other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got Timothy. He has genuine concern uh, for the welfare of the Philippians, contrasted with those who preach out of rivalry and conceit, who are not concerned about other people. And then you've got Epaphroditus, who almost died, but he wasn't worried about himself. Verse 26 says he was distressed because they heard that he was ill. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you've got uh, Paul um, eager to send him so that they would rejoice at seeing him again and that he might be less anxious. Mm-hmm. So you got everybody all concerned and anxious. Uh, Timothy, and I'm just using the words that are used here, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul. So how does how do we take that and use that? I think a lot of people understand that and are naturally concerned about people they love. But how does that compare or contrast with Philippians 4, 6 through 7? Do not be anxious about anything. Uh, how, do we, how do we reconcile those two things within the same letter? Mm-hmm. It's uh, something that confuses a lot of people. But I don't, I don't think it's very confusing. I think that the writers won't give us the benefit of the doubt for having a little common sense. And they, they know that we understand the difference between productive concern and unproductive concern. In these passages that we're studying today, you've got the right kind of concern. Care that is productive, that is rational, that is needed. I mean, it's good for Timothy to have genuine concern over them because he can do something about it. And it's good for for them to be concerned about Epaphroditus' health and Epaphroditus to be concerned about them being concerned about him. And Paul, you know, is you know, concerned, and he's doing something about it. He's sending Epaphroditus to them. Uh, by the way, it reminds me of that list in Second Corinthians 11 of all the trials that Paul has been through. Now, this list includes stonings and beatings, imprisonments and shipwrecks, but it climaxes with the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And the word is anxiety there. Mm-hmm. So that's productive anxiety, productive care, productive concern. Now when Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, don't worry, and when Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, he's talking about that irrational, unproductive anxiety that leads to nothing, that ruins your life, that saps your energy, that keeps you frozen in your tracks, keeps you from doing anything that you should be doing. Yeah. I think uh, the word that Paul chooses to use talking about Epaphroditus in verse 26 says he has been distressed because he heard that you were ill. Mm -hmm. If you look at the American Standard Version, it says sore troubled. If you look at the... (laughs) I like the King James Version. It says... Sore troubled. Yeah, that sounds pretty old. Something like from an old hymn or something Mm -hmm. from singing jerks. Uh, but I like what the King James Version says. It says, full of heaviness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I do the like idea. that. That's the idea. Yeah. That is the idea behind it. 
Um, I looked it up one of my little lexicons in the office. It says, intense inner agitation. I like full of heaviness better. Mm-hmm. It's full the, of heaviness is good. It's the same word used of Jesus when he was praying in the garden. Mm-hmm. And this, so this is not just like a worried, 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 you know, like that kind of anxiety, just like freaking out worried. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a very serious feeling of concern for someone mm-hmm. else or, you know, a deep concern. Uh, this is not just, Paul is not anxious about, or, you know, uh, here I guess it's Epaphroditus, he's not anxious about like, uh, well, you know, tomorrow I've got to make sure I go and get Paul's food at this market and this and that and the other. Right, the, yeah, that's not, know, he's, that's a good point. It's not yeah. just like little fleeting anxiety that's quickly remedied, you know, by getting a task done. This is a deep concern. I really like that full of heaviness. Well, I, I, I encounter a lot of people who feel a lot of guilt, which is another form of worry. Yeah. Over worrying. You know, oh, I'm, I'm terrible about worrying. I know it's a sin, but I can't stop it. And they worry about worrying. Yeah. But if you take this to the extreme and say absolutely no worrying, what kind of people would we be? You know, there'd be a terrorist attack and we'd be like, well, hey, you know, everything's going to work out okay. Yeah. And, you know, somebody lose a loved one, and we'd be so unsympathetic towards them. So we use a little common sense here. There is worry that is productive, and there's worry that is unproductive. Yeah. Tied in, tied in with that is the second application. Um, Epaphroditus here showing this concern is an example of what we talked about Last week, or no, two weeks ago, in chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing through rivalry or conceit, Mm -hmm. but in humility, let everyone, uh, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Mm -hmm. So he's ill, but he's concerned about their worrying about him being ill. Yeah. So that's a perfect example of counting somebody more important than yourself. Okay. Just had a thought. You can tell this is wrong. But I think there's a difference in productive concern and unproductive concern. Unproductive concern mm-hmm. is Epaphroditus being worried to death about the fact that he's so sick he could die. Productive mm-hmm. concern, he's looking past that. He's not concerned about himself dying. He's concerned about the negative effect that that's having on the rest of the people in Philippi. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not focused on his situation of, oh, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm going to die. I, You know, how am I going to handle this? I can't, you know. And that was in God's hands. Yeah. I mean, that was something that he nor Paul could do anything about. Yeah, he was not anxious about that. So he wasn't going to worry about that. But he was worried yeah. about the needs of his brothers in Philippi. Yeah, because so he could good... do something about that. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. All right, we're moving quickly because we we ate up all our time in in think. But um, let's let's get to verse thirty or verse twenty nine. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. I think that's a third application that we could talk about. Honor the loyal workers and soldiers in the kingdom of Christ. You know, too often we have elders and preachers and deacons and Bible class teachers and 
other workers who may not work in the teaching of the gospel who just go unnoticed, they're taken for granted. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of there's a lot of preachers out there that would like to retire, for example, who can't retire because the church mm-hmm. hasn't honored them at all. And there are a lot of people who, um, you know, serve have served for a long time as elders and have given a lot of their own means and and have given a lot of their time up, and they get criticized all the time, and people yeah. complain all the time. And I realize that preachers and elders, teachers make mistakes. And they need to be held accountable when they make mistakes. Yeah. However, at the same time, we can't always be complaining about them and griping because the simple fact of the matter is it's easier to stay free from mistakes when you're doing nothing. But when you're out there doing something... And making decisions, you're going to be unpopular at some point. And uh, you're going to, you know, I heard somebody say one time, if you get to the end of the year and you look back and you see that you haven't made any mistakes, it's probably because you haven't done anything. So we have to give these guys some some credit. And uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. And this is one of the themes of the book of Philippians. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. If we make these laborers in the kingdom, these soldiers, miserable, who hurts the worst from that? The average church member. Yeah. The average church member. What if we run all of our preachers off? Who, who gets hurt the worst? Those preachers, they're going to go get jobs somewhere, making a lot more money, doing a lot better than they were as preachers. Elders, they can they can quit and focus on their families and deal without the headaches. But who's yeah. going to really suffer? The writer of the book of Hebrews says, it's going to be you. So think about it. Yes, if somebody needs to be held accountable, hold them accountable. But it's no advantage to you to just be a thorn in somebody's side all the time. Just because you can. Yeah, and I think I want to bring up this point with why we should have respect. I know we're running out of time, but why we should have respect for these kind of people. Why we should treat them with honor. This is why he wanted them to treat Epaphroditus with honor. Just think, how do you, just common sense tells you to react to a Christian who is above reproach, not open to the charge of debauchery, um, he is not arrogant, he's not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain, but he is hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy in discipline, holds firm, and he is trustworthy uh, to the word as it is taught. He can give instruction and sound doctrine, and he can rebuke those who contradict it. I mean, common sense tells you anybody like that, you treat with honor. Mm-hmm. Because I mean they're they're worthy of it. Those are the qualifications of elders listed from Titus chapter one. Mm-hmm. That's what I just read. This guy Epaphroditus is probably an elder. He example he could have been an elder. I mean we don't know if he was married or had a kid, but uh, all those kind of arguments aside, those other qualifications he fits. He mm-hmm. could have been an elder. Yeah. 
So I think translate that to today's church for us. You know, you honor your elders. You might not agree with every little decision they make about what time church is going to start and, you know, what color this is and that is and how the building looks and how this and that and the other. But at the end of the day, that stuff doesn't matter. You still have to recognize, instead of focusing on, and this goes back to last episode, do things like grumbling or complaining. Are you looking for the things to kind of bring your elders deacons, ministers down? Like, are you trying to find something wrong with them? Or are you trying to encourage them for everything they've done right? Every elder, every deacon, every minister is going to make a thousand good decisions. They'll make a hundred bad decisions probably. Mm -hmm. But people just want to focus on that bad instead of treating them with the honor that they should and really holding these people in high regard and encouraging them as much as they can. Yeah. Well, we're out of time. Thank you once again for joining us on The 66. Tell your friends about us. We're spreading the word, and we're getting more and more listeners and hearing more people talk about what we're doing here, and we appreciate all the positive feedback. You can send us email at akingsley at arcoc.com or dkaiser at arcoc.com. Our website is the66.net. You can follow us on Twitter at the66podcast. Next week, we're going to continue the book of Philippians as we get into chapter 3. I hope that you will join us then.